HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. inspire and motivate you to drink and enjoy more wine we bring wine to the people we have a great show today we're going to talk a little about Malbec a French wine varietal that has flourished in South America specifically Argentina and has become wildly popular in the U.S. we are graced to have Laura Catena as our in-studio guest from Bodega Catena Zapata in Mendoza, Argentina which is a mouthful truly one of the world's most storied wineries. We will also ask Laura to answer our wine list, and we will taste the Catena Malbec with Laura for our weekly wine sip feature. Today is our inaugural show of The Grape Nation, show number one. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. I will guide you through the world of wine by bringing you usable information and expert guests. A little about me. I fell in love with wine in the mid-90s when my wife and I cycled through the Napa Sonoma wine country. That's when we connected with the vineyards, the winemakers, the culture, and the wines. I have since become an avid wine collector and expert and have tasted thousands of wines from around the world. I also created, produced, and co-hosted a show on Sirius XM called Wine and Web with Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary Vaynerchuk, a true wine and tech guru. So stay with us for the Grape Nation. All right, let's talk a little about Malbec. And boy, do I have the right person with me to talk about that. We're talking about Malbec in honor of our guest, Laura Catena. Let me tell you a little about Malbec. Malbec is a red grape with a deep, dark, inky color. It has robust tannins. You may say, what are tannins? 
Tannins is what gives wine its dryness, usually coming from the stems, seeds, and skin. Argentine Malbecs tend to be less tannic than their French counterparts. Malbec grapes were originally grown in France and were used as one of the blending grapes for the great Bordeaux wines, along with Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cab Franc, and Petit Verdot. It was a very disease-prone wine, uh, very disease-prone grape, and it didn't flourish in France. In the mid-1800s, on the recommendation of a French wine agronomist, Argentine winemakers started planting Malbec grafted from French wine cuttings. So Malbec goes back to Argentina as far back as the 1800s. And from that point on, as they say, the rest is history. So I can't think of anyone better to help me continue to tell the story of Malbec than our in-studio guest today, Laura Catena from Bodega Catena Zapata in Mendoza, Argentina. Bienvenidos, Laura. Gracias, Sam. Um, so it's a great honor to be here on the first show. But I have to make a little correction, Sam, about Malbec. Because actually it's not so disease prone, but it is frost prone. So when there's frost, it's a very delicate grape and the production goes way down. And that means very good quality. But in 19th century France, they didn't care about the quality. So right. when their yields went down... It was bad, and that's why they like their Cabernet Sauvignon more, which was a little hardier. But it, right. it, it's not uh, really so much disease-prone. But, but all, so what I want to do is I want, instead of me doing the proper introduction of who you are, I want you to tell the listeners about you. But as you just did, I want you to help me finish the history of Malbec in Argentina. Absolutely. So you already schooled me before I got my <laughs> sea legs going. I want you to talk about Bodega Catena Zapata because it's had such an impact in uh, South America, Malbec, the wine world. Absolutely. So first, Laura, let's talk about you. Let's tell our listeners who you are. And I don't want you to leave anything out. I don't want you to leave the mom, the daughter, the wife, the author, the doctor, the businesswoman, the winemaker. I want to hear all about that. Okay. I, I'll try to make it exciting. Um, but uh, So I'm the fourth generation of, of a winemaking family. My great-grandfather, Nicola Catena, came from Le Marque, Italy, to Argentina because there was famine in Europe, and he was looking for a place to uh, grow vines and plant a vineyard. And in 1902, he planted his first Malbec vineyard. And then my grandfather continued planting. And, and actually, I'll tell you this interesting tidbit, is that my great-grandfather left a winery to each son, but nothing to his daughters other than husbands. Different times, right? <laughs> so I'm glad I'm growing up in, in the fourth generation okay. and, and not the second. And then my father is Nicolás Catena Zapata, who is considered by many people the, the great pioneer of Argentine wine. He was the first one to bring high-end Argentine wine to, to the world. Um, and then I'm the next generation. Now, and, now, when you go back to the 1900s, your great-grandfather, your grandfather, was their sole vocation having the vineyards and the winery, or they did that and other things? Well, my great-grandfather, yes. He was fully dedicated to wine. But actually, my grandfather was a politician, and wow. he was the mayor of the town. And I don't know if you've heard of the Peronista, you know, don't cry from the Argentina, de Vita. Well, he was the only non-Peronista mayor in the whole country because he was a, a, a big liberal. 
Um, and uh, anyhow, that's and my father is actually it, an economist. Was he targeted? Did he take uh, a lot of crap for that? Not really. His his town really rallied behind him. So he was quite a leader. And then my father's an economist, and he founded um, an econ- economics and business school in Buenos Aires. And I'm a doctor, as you mentioned before. And in fact, I. So you got your degrees in the U.S. Yes, I went to Harvard undergrad and then Stanford for medical school. I never intended to work for the okay, family. Okay, I'm leaving now. <laughs> no, I can cure you. Okay. <laughs> With wine. Uh, but when I first, uh, my first love was medicine. I wanted to help people. And I did not realize that actually by making these incredible wines, I would be bringing prosperity to my whole region, to Mendoza. And today, the whole region is transformed because of wine. There's beautiful schools, hospitals, new roads, everything because of the the beautiful Malbec that is going from Argentina to the rest of the world. So as I like to say, my impact is a lot greater from making wine in my country than actually from being a physician. Right. Now, you have to put some geographic perspective into this because you talk about a long family line of winemakers... But you mentioned your dad was an economics professor, which brought him to the U.S., Yes. which brought you here, which is why you went to medical school. Yes, here. yes. So, yeah, so the, the interesting story is that we, we left Argentina because there was the military government. It was a very dangerous time to be there. There were bombs, kidnappings. My uncle actually was kidnapped, uh, but fortunately we were able to ransom him. Um, horrible times, and my father wanted to leave the country for a few years uh, to find some quiet in California. So he was a visiting scholar at Berkeley, and there he found the California Revolution of the 1980s, where the Californians were saying for the first time that a wine could be made outside of France that could be as great as a French wine. And he said, well, if these Californians can do it, why not me in Argentina? He, he has been sort of noted as and I guess it's a high compliment, the Robert Mondavi of South American wine. Is that a fair comparison in your mind? Yes, absolutely. You know, Robert Mondavi was a visionary. And um, my, my father was, was greatly inspired by him. What, when you said you left the country to go to California... I mean, did you literally have to leave at night and pack up? I mean, what happened to the properties, the vineyards, the wineries? Well, actually, no, it, it wasn't uh, so, it so wasn't dramatic. Like, no. Okay, I wasn't <laughs> but, sure. No, but um, but my father continued uh, running the business by fax. That, that, there was no Internet then, uh, and he would go back and forth. But the family was in, in the U.S., and now I'm living half the time in Argentina and half the time here in the U.S. So you're, what, about three months a year in the U.S.? Uh, no, a little more. A about little more? six months in the U.S., four months in Argentina, and the rest in the rest of the world. And you time it based on harvest? Yes. Making the wine? Yes. Yes, the, the, the key so times So how, to how be does there. that break out month-wise? Yeah, so the key times, February and March is the harvest. I like to be there. I like to taste the grapes. And then usually we do the blends in July, August when all the fermentations have ended. And um, those are the key times. And then I go usually every other month. And you have kids? Yes. 
And they are in school in the U.S.? Yes, in, and in Argentina. They both? go to school in both places, which they don't always like. Well, I was going to say, you, you've handled it well, but the kids, they well, seem to weather. They, 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 yes, they, they, um, I, the oldest one is now in college, so I can't make him go to school there in the summer. So my, I made a deal with my middle son, who's 15, that he could either go to school or do an internship at the winery, and he chose to do an internship at the winery. Good for him. <laughs> so there's a there's sort of a passion through osmosis. Yes, that's a you must be happy inside for that. Yes, yes. Well, wine is a beautiful thing. It comes from the land, and there is something about going to a vineyard that my great grandfather planted, and for him, well, that that is so historic. Let, let's talk about that. Yes. Yeah. One of the things I wanted you to help me with was the history of wine and Malbec in Argentina. Mm -hmm. So the family goes back to 1902, yes. great-grandfather, grandfather, your dad. Um, and we'll get to the fact that your dad was a very prominent player in sort of raising the bar. When did things really, really happen in Argentina, in Mendoza, with Malbec and with the other wines? Was it the 60s, 70s? Did you feel it in the 50s? Well, no, really, Malbec didn't start to become known outside of Argentina until the 90s. But it was a very important variety in Argentina before the 60s. And when it was planted, starting in 1852, it was the first planting that came from France, it just became widespread. And it was called La Uva Francesa, which means the French grape. And Nobody really knows why was it Malbec and not Cabernet Sauvignon or Malot or Syrah or any of these other French varieties. And my theory is that it just grew well. It made a great wine. So people kept on planting it. And so when my great-grandfather... It, it grew better in South America than in France, right? Well, I think so because in France, they, they love their Cabernet Sauvignon. We and loved Merlot. our And their Malot. We loved our Cabernet Sauvignon, but we loved our Malbec more. So... And and I think that and, and there's something about the cool climate and the high altitude that makes this Malbec, as you said before, that's very tannic but also smooth. And that's kind of wine heaven, to have a wine that's very aromatic, very powerful, but smooth. And they couldn't get those flavors in Malbec. In fact, the Cahors wines, that are the famous Malbec which, wines from which France. Which is really where most Malbecs yeah. today come from. And they're known for being very tannic, almost harsh. Which is why it's not obvious, which is why it is obvious that the Argentinian Malbecs became so popular. It had all the elements you said, the aromatics, yes. the tannins, but not yeah. overpowering or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I uh, sometimes compare Malbec a little more to Pinot Noir, which sounds crazy to some people because they say, wait, this is really dark wine. Pinot Noir is known for being lighter. It's a finicky grape, but, though. But actually, it's a finicky grape, it's like Pinot Noir. It's a skinned grape, isn't it? Yeah, but the, but the elegance, the aromatic elegance and the sweetness and softness of the tannins makes me think of a Pinot Noir. And in fact, I don't know if you're familiar with Jancis Robinson, the very famous wine critic. She told me that a good Malbec makes her think of Pinot Noir, the elegance in a good Malbec, which I like. That's a high compliment. Yeah. I know from following you on social media that I always see you at different times tasting wines from around the world. And I think you've disciplined yourself to really be aware of Yes. The great wines. Yes. I mean, you continue to do that? Yes, I love wine. I love drinking wine from anywhere, from 
you know, Europe, from Australia. Now there's these exciting natural wines from Georgia. You know, I, I love the flavors of wine. There's so much variety. And I never get tired of... And, and also in wine, you can always have something new. I, I go to a restaurant and I don't recognize half the list. That's so exciting to me. Nice. Yeah. Um, when you, you said that in the 90s, that's when Catena and Malbec broke through to the U.S., Yes. When you say Malbec broke through, obviously Catena was the better winemaker and was producing more. That's when the imports out of the yeah, country. Well, we actually uh, started exporting a great Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay that came from these old vines that we had in Argentina, those two varieties. Wasn't one of the first wines your dad started really yes. making was a Chardonnay yeah. even before? Yeah, in fact, people tasted our Chardonnay, and then they could believe that we could make a great wine. When we came out with Malbec, at first, I would actually have to convince people with a Chardonnay that we could make great wine. And then I'd taste some of the Malbec, because they were not interested. And people didn't even know what the variety was, where it was from. They hadn't heard of it, even there, if... There, in Argentina. No, no, here, no, in oh. Argentina, in, in the U.S. I would go out, and I, actually, I remember one day where I went to a sommelier, and he said, yes, I've had a Malbec before, and he tasted my Catena Malbec. This was in the early 90s. He said, oh, this is fantastic. I love it. And I thought he was going to buy it, and he said, well, but I, I'm not going to buy it because I can't sell it because nobody knows what Malbec is. And so um, we had to convince people uh, about the grape, and it had to be done by tasting. And once people tasted Malbec, they loved it. But prior to us, nobody had made a Malbec in a serious way. So people were making Malbec you, from You have the product now well, to put in front of people. Well, because people were basically doing, you know, high yields. Uh, right. n they weren't being careful. We decided we're going to make a Malbec of great quality that can stand there with the best Cabernets, the best Syrahs, the, you know, the best Pinot Noirs. And it actually took us several years of working on the vineyard and in the winery to make this great Malbec. But also, didn't you probably have to start traveling more to the U.S.? Yes. As the ambassador oh, absolutely. to the grape and to your yes. product and we, convince people. We, you probably had to seek out a distributor in the early yes, days. We had to travel all over the place because we had to sell one bottle at a time. We had to convince people of how beautiful. But, you know, the wine, once people tasted the wines, they, they were convinced. You um, had the product. So yeah. it was just a matter of... And actually, you know, a big deal was in 1996, uh, the Wall Street Journal did an article on uh, Malbec. And their Catena Malbec was the number one. And that really changed history because for a, a, a journal of that importance to feature Malbec was, was a big deal. Was that one of the first? I mean, Wine Spectator. Uh, Wine Spectator wrote earlier. Um, but the, and that was very important the as well. Resonated. In the in you know, in the wine drinking community. But the, the journal, you know, goes to everybody. Right. And that was a big deal. That's, yeah. It goes to business people, yeah. consumers, all of that. Yeah. Um, talk to me again about the altitude. I know that we've talked about Malbec for the last few minutes, but Catena is also very well known. We talked about Chardonnay for growing other varietals. And I would say that some of the more famous, super highly regarded wines are Cabernet Sauvignons. True? Yeah. Well, our very well-known wine, the Nicolas Catena Zapata, named after my father, is a Cabernet Sauvignon Malbec blend, which was that ancient blend from Bordeaux that we were talking about earlier, you know, that, that made Bordeaux famous in the, in the 18th and 19th century. So um, high altitude, very important. So 
often people think South America has got to be warm with the palm trees. But, you know, we have penguins and we have snow. Snow-capped in, mountains. In, in Patagonia. And in Mendoza, as you go towards the Andes, it, it gets cooler. And so we can have a place where you're hot you're sleeveless and then you drive for 30 minutes and you have to wear a jacket to a higher altitude. to a higher altitude and so for viticulture you do not want a weather that's too hot you want sunlight but you want a sli- somewhat cool nights and that's how you get very good quality you get um wines that are elegant with good acidity not too alcoholic and that's what we have in in the area called the uco valley in mendoza now did did your father go into high altitude growing right away or it took him a while to experiment or plant some grapes and see what happened was that something he was committed to early on early on he went to sort of the middle altitude where it was already cooler and better than the it warm had all areas. the elements yes but then but he pushed it a little but then he um he went to france actually i was with him and a certain uh, french uh, very famous wine grower said about one of our wines this makes me think of a wine from the Languedoc. And the Languedoc in France is considered this kind of warm, massive production place, which I think makes some very good wines. But in, at that time, this was quite an insult. And my fa- this was in the late 80s. And my father came back and he said, I am going to go to the coldest place, even if the grapes don't ripen. That's where I want to go. And he planted in the Adriana Vineyard at almost 5,000 feet elevation. Was Adriana the first high-altitude vineyard? That was the first, what I would call, extreme high-altitude, 5,000. And in fact, when we were planting that vineyard, there were no roads. And there was a big snowstorm. Oh, boy. And the the person who was planting the vineyard was stranded with his family. And the Argentine military had to throw food from the air from helicopters. That's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Now, since then, you've planted in other higher altitude vineyards. Yes. There's three, four, five other ones? Yes, yes. And also, if you go further south. your designate names. Yes. If you go further south, you also get cooler climate. So we have the Nicasia Vineyard further south, the Angelica Sur Vineyard. Uh, but the problem further south is that we get frost. And that's the one thing that we have to look out for. But, you know, Burgundy has a big problem with frost. And... As a farmer, you accept that every couple of years, your yields are going to be halfway down, 70% down. And if that brings you a beautiful wine on other years, that's what you got to do. So we're talking to Laura Catena from Bodega Catena Zapata. Yes. Um, I wanted to just follow up on what you just said. Mendoza is the primary growing region. Yes. And you mentioned a few other names. So besides Mendoza, the other growing areas, like is the Uco Valley considered Mendoza, or are there other areas outside of Mendoza yeah, so that you have spread out to? That's such a good question because one of the most confusing things for people is to understand about the Argentine provinces. So we have provinces just like you have states in the U.S., but the interesting thing about Argentina is that the capital of the province is the same, the name as the province. So Mendoza City is the capital of Mendoza Province. So Mendoza Province is where 70% of the wine is made. And it's kind of in in the middle of the country. You know, Argentina is like a triangle. It's in the middle towards the Andes, so inland. Then all along the Andes, which go on the western side of Argentina from north to south, you know, and Chile is on the other side, all along the Andes, on the eastern slopes, there's vineyards. So from the north, a province called Salta, 
all the way down to Patagonia. Now, if you go, you know, oh, there are vineyards in Patagonia. Yes, yes, and they make some beautiful wines in Patagonia. Not there's not as many as in Mendoza, but there's there's some great wines there. What what primarily is growing in Patagonia? So you know, there is a lot of Malbec planted and. For me, it's very interesting to taste Malbec from different parts of I Argentina. I was going to ask you, if you put side-by-side side a Patagonian Malbec against the classic Mendoza totally vineyard, totally different. Well, what are totally the differences? Totally different. Uh, so a Patagonian uh, Malbec will be a little um, more sort of uh, high acid, maybe not as smooth. They, uh, rugged? A little more rugged, uh, but very aromatic. If you go to Mendoza, you get these really elegant, well-balanced Malbecs. And if you go to the north, to Salta, you get more of a sort of riper style, which a lot of people really love. Uh, and I always say when people sometimes ask me, well, what is what comes after Malbec? And I was like, what do you mean what comes after Malbec? That's like asking somebody from Burgundy what comes after Pinot Noir. You know, right. We have so many different expressions of Malbec in the different terroirs going from north to south. Within the sub-provinces, like Uco Valley is, is a small district within Mendoza. And how long has that been going on? I mean, has that been an occurrence in the last five, eight, ten years? Or you've been planting in Patagonia? Oh, there's been vineyards in Patagonia for, you know, 200 years. Uh, because all these European immigrants that came to Argentina in, in the 18th and 19th century and 20th century, uh, you know, they, they went all over the country. And, you know, they needed wine because they right. were from Italy and Spain. So they grew uh, So, no, there's been uh, vineyards there for a long time. But most of the wine was being drunk locally. Right. As was before Malbec became popular. Yes. I guess in the 90s, as you said. But most of the wines were not sold as varietals. So, you, you know, you had the name of the winery, but it didn't say it was Malbec or Cabernet Sauvignon. Right. The same as it was in Europe. Right. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the winery because I had the good fortune of visiting South America, Argentina, Mendoza, and Catena Winery. Tell everybody about the winery. It's not your ordinary occurrence. As you drive up to this winery, there's something going on there. And do your best to describe it to us. Well, it's shaped in the shape of a pyramid, and the inspiration were the Mayan pyramids of Central America. And the reason for this inspiration was that we wanted to create a temple to the land. And the Mayans were a civilization that aspired to reach the highest level in mathematics, uh, in astronomy, in language. And we are trying to make wines in Argentina that can stand with the best of the world. So we had something in common. And we also wanted it to be an American and in the sense of America, including all North, Central, and South uh, concept. And we didn't want to copy an Italian theme or a Spanish theme. You know, we're an Italian origin family, but this is not Italy. It's, it's Argentina. And so the, to, to me, the winery is like a temple in honor of our terroir, you know, that French right. word that talks about this combination of climate, culture, and soil. So you wanted to make it unique, which is yes. nice. It, yes. it is a beautiful winery. Um, we have a thing every week. We call it the wine list. And I didn't uh, prep you on this, so this is spontaneous. Um, it's going to be a bunch of questions, and do your best to answer it. They're nothing crazy. So first question is, what wine are you drinking right now? Let's push away the catenas. 
Yes, well, actually, I'm having a white wine from Penedes. And from honestly, where? from Penedes in Spain. Okay. And honestly, I don't remember the variety, but I ordered it because it was such a hard name that I thought it must be interesting. Okay. Are you, have you been, been finding yourself drinking the same thing over and over the past few weeks or months? You know, I am going through a white wine phase right okay. now. I'm drinking a lot of whites. I, I usually drink whites during the week and reds on weekends. Do you think that's seasonal because it's summertime and you're here? No. And you, okay. I've been doing this for about the last two years. I actually think that there's a trend in the world of going uh, more towards the white wines. Okay. All right. Your favorite wine and food pairing. Something that when both are in front of you, you go, oh, this is great. You go back to time and time again. Um, well, I have to say... Ecatina um, Alta Chardonnay and pumpkin ravioli. I love pumpkin ravioli. Homemade pumpkin yes, ravioli? Yes, homemade pumpkin, pumpkin ravioli that okay. my mom makes in our country home. That's a good one. All right, now, this question you're qualified to answer probably three different ways. What's your favorite wine restaurant? So I'm going to ask you to tell me New York because you spend enough time in New York. I'm going to ask you to tell me about Argentina, could be Mendoza, any other part of the country. And then you are a world-class traveler. Tell me another, you know, restaurant, whether it's Europe or Italy or somewhere else. So favorite wine restaurants? In New York, in New York okay. Argentina, abroad. Okay, so in New York... Um, I have to make sure that I don't upset any of my customers here. Uh, Fair. <laughs> well, I was about to go tonight to Tzatziki, which is a Greek restaurant that has the most incredible Greek wine list. And um, I just which love Greek wines. Which is very hot right now. Yes. And plays into your white wines, the yes. Acerticos and the Santorini wines. Yes. Um, and, and there's also a place that has an incredible Argentine list, Buenos Aires, in, um, in the village which is such a fantastic What's restaurant, restaurant? Um, Buenos Aires. Okay. Oh, it's called Buenos Aires. Yes, okay. yes. And it has just such an extraordinary list. They have old vintages, nice. great place. And I would say that's my favorite wine place for Argentinian okay. wine. In terms of Argentina, that now you're going to get me really in trouble. Nobody uh, in Argentina but, uh, can hear this, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but I I'm have happy to, that we get the signal outside of Brooklyn today. So yeah, so I, I, I'd have to say that my favorite place is called 1884. Francis and Malman. uh, Francis Malman's 1884 in Mendoza, and um, I eat there all the time. There's outdoor dining with these beautiful smells. I had the smells. good fortune to eat there. Yes, and it's this very, magical very place. Very meat-centric, would you agree? Yes, a lot of meat. So and perfect I'm, for beautiful, robust red wine. Red wine, and you just sit there and you never want to leave. And Buenos Aires has so many fantastic places. Now, what about Europe? France, Italy, Germany? Is there any experience, any place, wine, restaurant that... Um, well, I'm really excited right now about this wine restaurant called 57 Paul Mall in London that has the most extraordinary collections of wines. And they do wine tastings every other day. And they have really old vintages of European wines. They have lots of South American, Californian wines. And Unique the, in the sense that there's not a lot of places. No, in there's London not a lot of places. Europe yeah, that, that have taken that kind of leap towards. Yes, that yeah, kind of and variety. and I would say that that's a really exciting place right now. Okay. Um, 
I also uh, really, and I'm trying to remember the name of the chef that does, uh, like he does English food from the 16th century. I'm, I'm going to remember once we finish, but um, that okay. place. <laughs> what about favorite all-time wine? So I'll give you the out. Give me your favorite all-time Catena. And like I said earlier in the show, you've tasted and drank a lot of world, you know, class Yes, yes, wines. yeah. No, I have plenty on the list of favorite all-time wines. So, so. let's start with <laughs> favorite Catena wine. Oh, God. Um, I would probably have to say the Nicolás Catena Zapata 1997. Why that was, year? Um, because that was the, the first vintage, and it was a, it's actually a mostly Cabernet wine. Um, but it's just an extraordinary vintage, extraordinary wine. So it's wine. not a sentimental thing first one the wine actually bit, rocks you know what it's a little bit sentimental but the wine actually rocks and i love old red wines so i almost never drink young red wines i drink a lot of young white wines but mostly old red wines and so we're talking almost 20 years later it's yeah. held up really oh, well it's fantastic okay um now yeah. what about non-catena so I have a wine that I've bought a couple of bottles of, and I have one every couple of years because it's my father's birth year, 1939 Chateau Latour. Okay. And that is a wine that Very is... Very easy to find and get, right? Not that easy to find. No Over 70 years old, and it is just so beautiful. It still has fruit. It's high acid, but totally drinkable, and... Still Every time, up you well. know what it's still, and I've so far had three bottles of it. I have only two left because every couple of years I, d I tell my dad, okay, this year I'm going to open one of your bottles. And it's just this may be a loaded question. Yeah. Do you drink it with him? Always with him. Right. I mean, yes. it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. All right, last question. And I think Katana sort of answers this question, but we'll see if we can get out of it. I always ask people, the best wine for under 15 bucks, a red and a white. Because I think we talked about some great wines. We all know the great wineries. But I think the real challenge is to really find a wine that oh wows you for under 20 bucks and around 15 bucks. And I could start the answer by saying that a Catena Alamos, even the wine that we're going to taste in a few minutes. But what comes to mind for you? Hey, just I just remembered the English chef. Blumenthal, Heston, Heston Blumenthal. Blumenthal. Yeah, yeah. His, I, I love his duck? restaurant. Uh, I Maybe. think it's his restaurant. Isn't it called Blumenthal? Well, I don't remember, but his restaurant is extraordinary. I love going there. He's Great one of food. the top British chefs. Just, for just sure. so incredible. Um, right, don't dodge so, the okay, question. Okay, okay. No. So, you know, one of the wines that a lot of people don't know about is Catena Cabernet Sauvignon. It usually sells for a little under twenty dollars, and it's just such a great wine. Just fantastic. So um, there's a perfect answer because if you've had enough Malbecs or you don't want a Malbec, you want a great value wine, you want a great consistent winemaker, there's a Catena Cabernet Sauvignon. All right, what about a white? Um, you know, a white, I, lately I've been drinking this wine that's actually, I think there's a lot of it produced, but it's called Oyster Bay. And it's it's a big brand, Sounds but it's like a so, Sauvignon Blanc. You know what? what it's is a it? Sauvignon Blanc, and it's so delicious. New Zealand, or yeah, it's a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. It's, and it's under twenty bucks. It's under ten bucks. Wow! And it's such a good that, deal. See, and I'm really tip. enjoying it. Okay. Yeah. All right, Laura, will you please stay with us? 
and taste with our weekly wine sip. Absolutely. Um, we're doing a Catena Malbec. I'm no dummy. Great. But there's a reason <laughs> because it's, I'll explain why. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. Music for this commercial break is brought to you by Teeth People. And this one's called Poetry is Dead. She's her own female. She's her own female. That's why I like her. I like her a lot. And she don't know that she's her own female. She's her own female. And she don't know. That's why I like her a lot. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. All right, now we're really back. All right, every week we're going to taste a different wine on the air. I'm going to tell you the week before what we're going to taste the following week, so it'll give you a chance to go out and actually buy the wine and taste it with us. So you could sit there at home, at your computer, with a glass of wine, and taste with us. So for this week's weekly wine sip, in honor of our guest, Laura, we'll be trying the 2013 Bodega Catena Zapata Catena Malbec. It's one of the winery's signature wines. This wine retails for between 16 and $20. Is that a fair uh, range? Usually closer to 20 plus. Okay. Well, in New Jersey and in New York, yeah. I You guys have a good deal. $18, $20. So that's, Great. so that's a good thing. And it's widely available. It's not yes. something that you, know, you have to look for. Robert Parker's wine advocate, Galoni's Vinius, and wine enthusiasts have critically acclaimed it. Um, this wine has scored um, in the 90s, which is a terrific score for a lot of reasons. The price, it's a very reasonable wine. The production, how many bottles are produced? Quite a few. A lot. Okay, so it's but, readily available. But not, no, but not, not so, it's not, I wouldn't say you can find it everywhere, but usually, uh, oftentimes people tell me they can't find it, and I just say, Ask your uh, your wine store to order it for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm mm. only talking from experience, you know, from New York. I mean, I haven't had trouble, you know, really finding yeah. it. But yeah, well, our, our importer is located in New York. Right. Hey, I did want to say one thing, Sam, is, uh, you know, Kane 5 was talking, their little advertising. They're a sponsor. And, and I, no, I just want to say that they make probably the best Malbec that is made in California. Really? I don't know if you knew that. And I've been having their Malbec for a long time, and it's really delicious. It's very well made. So I hope that the the listeners also taste the Kane okay. 5, not just their Cabernet, but also their Malbec. Great. That's a great tip. Um, all right, Laura, let's taste this wine. Um, if there's anything else you could tell me about it, please tell me. And also, I want you to tell me your sensory 
um, responses from this wine. So on the nose. So on the nose, you know, it's got um, black fruits, red fruits. Um, Malbec has natural, slight vanillin, and it's not actually coming from, from oak. oak. It's it's actually in the grape. A little coffee-ish thing. And then a touch of spiciness, which comes from the Uka Valley. And then when you put it in your mouth, it's one of these mouth, these wines that is just so long. You know, it just stays in your mouth forever, but it's completely smooth. And sometimes people think, oh, well, maybe this wine won't age. But actually, if you were to take this bottle... And, you know, it's not a very expensive bottle, as you said. It's around $20. And age it for 20, 30 years, it would be delicious still. It would hold up? Because it has a lot of tannins and good acidity. Right. right. Yeah. It's 100% Malbec? 100% Malbec. Okay. Yeah. Now, let's... Did you tell me taste, too? I mean, that was the nose. What do we get on so the... So on the taste, um, you know, you, you get, again, you know, dark fruits. The alcohol is not particularly high. Good acidity really long smooth tannins very velvety you know malbec is known for being velvety what um let's talk about good food pairings for this what would you <laughs> you got a bunch of friends yes you got a few bottles of this out on the table what would be a good food to serve with well, this? It's, we, a, it's a hearty strong wine yeah well we have uh, our name for barbecue in argentina is asado where we basically put ribs and sausage and on all kinds par- of parrilla, parrilla, on, parrilla. on the grill uh, and even vegetables so i would basically have this wine with anything grilled because it can stand up to that sort of grill strong flavor but i also think that malbec is one of the few wines that actually goes with spicy food and for me it's a favorite favorite with curry um, so Thai curry, Indian curry, and I particularly like Malbec with gamey kinds of meats. So like? pork, uh, lamb, anything that's a little bit exotic goes very well with the sweet tannins. And it's not sweetness from sugar. The, you know, it's a completely dry wine, but the tannins taste sweet. Great. All right. So that's the Bodega Catena Zapata Catena Malbec. Would you say that it is one of the signature wines of the winery it's oh absolutely i mean yes. i know there's a lot of production yeah, yeah. well um, it, i think it's, it's been, more available than you say yeah well it's been you know top 100 wine spectator at least four or five times i think so, the value yeah. to yeah. quality is you know off the charts thank you thank you um all right thank you for that laura next week we'll be talking pizza so we're going to talk about wines that go with tea, pizza, and we're going to taste the 2012 Viete, which is a terrific winemaker, Barbera de Asti, Trey Vigna. And finally, on the wine calendar this week, it's wine harvest time in the U.S. We're lucky to have an abundance of wine regions and wineries right near us. You have Long Island, you have the Hudson Valley, and you have the Finger Lakes, up, Finger Lakes upstate. These three wine regions are making terrific wines, and they're right now in the throes of harvest season. So if you want to witness what harvest is like at a winery, you don't have to get on a plane and go to Bordeaux. You don't have to go to Napa. You could visit any of these places, and you could see how busy things are and you know, sort of how wine is made from the vine to the crush and then you know, later on. Um, so support your local uh, winery, any one of these uh, areas, and head into the tasting room and try one of these wines and hopefully buy some of them. 
All right, thank you to our very special guest. Thank you, Laura Catena, for joining us in studio all the way up here from Mendoza, Argentina. Now, Laura is in town doing a lot of different things, but there's something exciting going on, I think, in the next night or two. Tell me quickly about that. Yes. uh, Tomorrow, Thursday and Friday night, we are uh, cooking and pouring wine at uh, Chef's Club in New York City uh, with Chef Tomas Calica from Michigan, which is the most amazing restaurant in Buenos Aires that is reinventing Jewish cuisine. Really fun guy. The food's incredible. We'll be pouring some really beautiful wines. So Chef's Club is a project of Food and Wine Magazine? Yes, it's related to Food and Wine Magazine, and they basically bring chefs right, and recreate highlight. the cooking from all over the world. Very exciting restaurant. So he's preparing the menu. Yes. And you're providing the wines? Yes. Well, there's a, the studio uh, dinner has already been bought out, but there's also some of his dishes will be served at the main dining room with some of our wines. Okay. That sounds great. Um, can anyone go? Or you yes, said it's... you can call the restaurant reserve okay. for Thursday night and Friday night. I think there's still a few uh, so spots Chef's in the Club main, in main dining room. I know it's downtown, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, Laura. Look out for that if you're interested. Thank you to everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. And again, thanks to our engineer, Pierre. We'll see you next week. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>